Hello, you're listening to a podcast on renewables in Sweden, which is part of a series of podcasts that we've put together at Simmons & Simmons in the run-up to COP26, which is being held in Glasgow in November. Uh, my name's Andrew Petrie. I'm a partner in the Simmons & Simmons uh, energy team based in London, and I'm joined today by Jürgen Müller and uh, Frederick Morfelt, who are at Sirio, the leading law firm based in Stockholm. Um, welcome, gentlemen. Um, if I could kick off with a question today with for Frederick, um, could you give us a, a short um, summary of Sweden's current commitment to uh, introducing renewables and uh, reducing carbon emissions? Carbon emissions. Yeah, I under happy to. Yeah, well, I mean, like the rest of the Nordics, Sweden is very much, you know, is and wants to be at the forefront of the battle against climate change and has comparatively ambitious goals. So for one thing, the Swedish government has adopted a net zero emission goal for greenhouse gases by 2045. Um, five years before for that, so in 2040, um, all electricity produced in Sweden is supposed to come from renewables. Um, you know, obviously that's uh, also going to come with with its challenges, uh, and 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 the energy sector, although welcoming uh, these these goals, have have obviously pointed that out. So, I think. Um, last year, renewable energy production represented 60% of Sweden's total production. That's obviously good, but then that's also including um, hydropower, which Sweden has a lot of, fortunately. Um, and, and I think one of the main sort of uh, challenges to reaching 100% renewable production is that the nuclear power, which is 30% of production today, must be phased out. And, and that obviously means that Sweden would have to be more dependent on intermittent power sources and uh, hydro would, would basically be alone the base load in, in, in the system. Yeah, and okay. just to add on that, Andrew, uh, you know, at the same time, you know, the power demand is expected to increase due to the number of uh, various factors. So we have the popula population growth, we have electri electrification of industry, and, and we we have, for example, you know, the major Swedish steel industry um, as the hybrid pro uh, project, and you have H2 Green Steel in Initiative, um, and 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 all of this is increasing energy demand all the time. Uh, so it's not only uh, uh, you know replacing the nuclear, but we also need to find a strategy to to find new sources. Yeah, so that's clear, Jürgen. And 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 what technologies um, have I mean, we've heard about hydro, but what other technologies are dominating this this change, and and um, you know what 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 else will be needed to make this shift to 100% renewable energy production? Yeah, no. So so what we just said is you no know, hydropower is is the the new base load. It, it can't be nuclear anymore. Um, so so that's the dominant in the market, uh, and um, those plants have been there for quite some time and will be for the future. But on the other side, it's also uh, in Sweden a, a ban essentially on developing new hydropower facilities. So hydropower will not increase, um, and and thus uh, we need something else. And and what have been you know growing in the market uh, has been essentially wind power, onshore wind power. So that having increased from about two percent in uh, you know 
2020, uh, 2010, and now 10 years later, we have over 17% uh, uh, comes from uh, wind, and that that is increasing every year. Uh, so, so that will be, you know, the main factor. And, and adding on that, what we see the next next shift is definitely going offshore. Yeah. Yeah, so the thing is that Sweden has virtually no, with one or two exceptions, virtually no uh, offshore wind power today. Uh, but what we've seen is that there's um, huge interest from developers right now developing uh, offshore wind farms, particularly off the coast of sou- southern Sweden, where um, uh, demand and prices are, are are higher than in the north. So I think the TSO just you know the other day reported that they've received uh, connection requests for 100. 135 gigawatts of offshore power, which translates to some three times Sweden's total energy uh, consumption in a year. Um, yeah, think- so that's, that's quite extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, what, what incentives are there in place for, for, for renewables, or are there any? Well, so actually, I think the sort of the budding interest in the offshore sector comes in the wake of the government announcing uh, that they want to put in place an incentive scheme where they will sort of cover um, a large part of the connection costs. Um, but other than that, what's happening is actually that the, the the support scheme that we have had since the 90s, which is a sort of market-based based electricity um, certificate scheme where um, renewable producers get uh, certificates based on production and, and consumers must then buy certificates based on uh, consumption. That's being phased out. Uh, so new facilities will not benefit from that system anymore. Uh, and more and more renewables are expected to survive on their on their own merits. And, and you know, I think that, that's obviously, I think that's unfortunate because um, that means also that other technologies that that might need nurturing won't get any nurturing. So that could be batteries or hydrogen or solar or or, or whatever, because, you know, obviously we're not going to be able to survive on hydro and wind alone in this country going forward. Yeah, but I mean, corporate PPAs underpin a lot of the, the onshore wind development. Um, uh, do, you, do you see that trend continuing or, or and maybe they could be used for other technologies? Yeah, they, they, they could. And, and we have seen a, uh, you know, uh, a strong market in PPAs in, in the Nordics. Uh, it started quite early and it's you know, a growing market. But actually, um, um, th- th- there, is, there is more products that need PPAs uh, than there are PPAs off-takers. Uh, so we, see the, we do see a trend that it's increasing all the time. But essentially, uh, what is, what is uh, really pushing that market is, is uh, securing competitive financing. Because the prices of PPAs currently in the markets are very low compared to you know, the predicted uh, price forecast. So we, uh, we do see them in the wind sector we definitely see them in 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 the the small solar sector that we have in in sweden uh, but you know the trend in the market currently is that uh, most uh, or quite a lot of the investors going fully merchant uh, because of this this uh, price gap in, in between ppas and and the merchant prices uh, so um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see uh, if it's just going to continue to grow. But uh, but uh, we, we we see that you know the needs are more uh, than than you actually have off takers in the market, and it will it will stay that way. Yeah, that may may mean that you have to attract a different kind of investor. Uh, I, I mean, you, you, Frederick, you touched on some of the challenges um, shifting to renewables early on in this podcast. But um, are there any others that you want to raise? Uh, 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 that you can see going forward? 
Yeah, I mean, so what we talked about before were essentially sort of market and and technical challenges. You know, on top of that, there are some regulatory uh, issues as well. So, um, you know, obviously, you know, grids and, and power facilities require permitting. Um, that's all well and good. But unfortunately, what we've seen over time is that it's become increasingly time consuming and challenging to actually get permits and, and meet compliance requirements. So just to give one example, every Swedish municipality has veto over wind power development in its jurisdiction, um, and, 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 and they do veto uh, wind power from time to time. Uh, the thing with that is that the veto comes very late in the, in, in the process, so you have to complete your permit application before that issue is even tried for the first time. Um, and, you know, developers try to tackle that by having underhand uh, um, sort of uh, discussions with the municipalities to understand whether there will be a veto or not. Unfortunately, you know, this is all in the hand of the politicians and, and opinions and majorities shift over time. And uh, it can be yes one day and then no the next. Um, there's a similar situation going on with the, with the Swedish armed forces that also do sort of go about vetoing wind power development uh, and, and the development of other facilities in Sweden. Yeah, and then we have a similar issue in the UK. So, so Jürgen, do you see any legislative initiatives to try and tackle these or any of the other issues mentioned? Yeah, yeah, we do. There, there's always been, you know, uh, changes in the legislation uh, to try to improve the processes. Uh, and and we, we also have some, you know, current uh, um, processes where the government has appointed a committee to investigate how to, the permit process can be more efficient. Uh, but just adding on, on another challenge is, uh, for example, uh, the access to grid and, and transmission capacity. Uh, that is a, a challenging market, uh, in particular in the north. So uh, we also seen quite a lot of improvements on that. The problem is that to build uh, without the grid, you know, get rid of all the uh, bottlenecks, it will take time. It's not only the permit process, but it's also an execution phase. Uh, so, uh, you know, we do see improvements in these areas, definitely, uh, but it will take some time to both to get the processes right, right uh, on the permitting side, but also to, um, you know, to, to build out the transmission capacity in particular from north to south. Okay, well, no, that, that sounds um, as if we should keep an eye on that. Um, this just leaves time for one final question. Um, so, um, as I mentioned, this, this podcast is uh, in, in anticipation of COP26, and uh, Sweden's most um, famous, I think, commentator on these issues talked about um, most of what is produced by politicians as just being blah, blah, blah. Um, it, do you share this view, or what, what, does, what, 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 what do you think is likely to come out of this from a Swedish perspective? Yeah, I, I, I guess that very much depends on what glasses you have on, right? I mean, I don't think that Jürgen and I would go that far, but, you know, I, I think we, we, we don't expect this to have a massive impact domestically, uh, Sweden having pretty sort of ambitious goals already. What I think is happening is that there's, you know, there, there's a bit of fatigue over sort of uh, the, the feeling that uh, other countries aren't following suit the way that they should. And, but, but I think obviously what the Swedish government and politicians are kind of expecting to get out of this meeting is, is for other countries um, to, to, to sort of make additional national contributions uh, going towards meeting the, the goals of the Paris Agreement. Um, so, so, so I guess that's, that, that's really what can be hoped for.
Yeah, no, that's clear. I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. Um, so thank you ever so much, Frederick and Jürgen, for um, taking part in our podcast series and sharing your um, uh, expertise on the Swedish market. Um, okay. It's been very insightful. Thank you very much. Um, please keep an eye out for the next episode in our series on LinkedIn uh, and on our website and on Spotify and as well on Apple Music. Thank you very much.